In the next few recordings, we're going to learn through some of the chidushim of Reb Yosef Dov Salavechik, the son of Reb Moshe and the oldest grandson of Reb Chaim, and famous as one of the most creative and original figures in the Brisker tradition. So everything Reb Yosef Dov touches, he transforms and brings an original twist to. Now, there's a tremendous amount of books and articles that are constantly being written on Reb Yosef Dov's thoughts and his ideas, so it's hard to summarize them quickly, but basically in a few areas, Rabbi Yosef Dov branches out where no one in his family had really gone before. So first of all, not only does Rabbi Yosef Dov master Gemara and Halacha, but he also writes and talks a lot about philosophical ideas, which was something new. Obviously, Rabbi Chaim and Rabbi Velvel had a very strong ideology, and they could have described their worldview of Judaism very clearly, so on some level that's philosophical, but it's it's hard to find anything that they wrote that could be considered philosophical, whereas Rabbi Yosef Dov is a great philosopher and he writes a lot about those themes. So that's one unusual thing that he does. In addition, he also does a lot of drush, explaining different stories in Tanakh and Agadita, where Rabbi Chaim and Rabbi Velvel did some of that, but very little. They really did not focus on those areas. Rabbi Chaim was a man of halacha and lumdis, whereas Rabbi Yosef Dov applies the brisker method of analysis also to Agadita and to more philosophical and drush types of materials. So that's another area that he excelled at. And he was very popular. He was a known speaker and people could listen to him for hours as he would explain and interpret all sorts of different passages in the Gemara and the Chumash and Tanakh. Whereas Rab Chaim was not a public speaker at all and it seems like he barely gave speeches. So this was another new direction that Rabbi Yosef Dov branched out in and applied the brisker method to something new. In addition to that, he was the first member of the family to get a formal secular education. So he got a PhD from the University of Berlin in the 20s. So this was also very new and very much at odds with the worldview of Rab Chaim and Rab Velvel. Furthermore, Rab Yosef Dov found himself in new cultures and new geographical areas. So Rab Chaim and Rab Velvel were very much part of the Polish, Lithuanian, Eastern European Jewish world. And Rab Yosef Dov, partly by choice, partly by the Holocaust, ended up in America, and that's where he really thrived, bringing the whole tradition to America and mixing it with a sort of openness and modernity that was very appealing to very many people. Also, Rabbi Yosef Dov became a leader in the religious Zionist movement, and he was very vocal in his support of the state of Israel and how he felt that it was important for Jews to support that. And again, that was very much against Rabbi Chaim and Rabbi Velvel. So there were a lot of very big differences and changes in the way Rabbi Yosef Dov took the brisker tradition from the way that it had been practiced in the first two generations. And Rabbi Yosef Dov was able to do that because he himself was a towering Talmud Chacham and one of the major figures in the third generation of brisk. So he was able to adapt it in ways that he felt were necessary and use the tools of the brisker tradition to meet some of the challenges of the world that he found himself in. And again, this mix was very appealing. He was a very 
popular Rosh Hashiva. He had many thousands of students and he created one of the dominant American Orthodox Jewish movements. So he was a very influential figure. And again, he had a combination of worldliness, of charisma, of warmth, of genius, of brilliance. And he was trained in the best of the Brisker method and how to learn and a commitment to learning and halacha. So he really was an unbelievable and remarkable person who left a tremendous legacy and one of the core figures of the Soloveitchik Brisker movement. So we're going to go through some of his chidushim and Rabbi Yosef Dov has chidushim all over. There are still constant svarim being published with his chidushim on various topics. He gave shiurim for decades. So we could spend a long time on Rabbi Yosef Dov's insights, but we're just going to do a few of his pieces to sort of finish up the channel with his grandfather, his uncle, his father, and now Rabbi Yosef Dov. So in context, it will give us a sense for how Rabbi Yosef Dov is similar in his learning style to his relatives and in what way he's different. Now, in general, it could be said that Rabbi Yosef Dov's method developed over the decades and his later chidushim are much more bold and creative, quote-unquote, than his earlier chidushim, which follow more in the line of Rab Chaim. So we've already noticed that Rab Chaim has a little bit of a different method than Rab Velvel. Rab Velvel's chidushim are more solid. They tend to be showing how the Rambam and other commentators are consistent with their other views elsewhere, whereas Rab Chaim's ideas are more bold and they'll insert some of his own personal ideas into it. Now, now, Reb Moshe's chidushim follow more in the style of Rab Chaim. They have that boldness. And the early chidushim of Rab Yosef Dov, which tend to be in Kovetz Chidushe Torah, which assembles some of the articles that he himself published, particularly in Hapardes. So those articles are from when he was younger, in his 30s, 40s, when he was still building a name for himself as a Rosh Hashiva, and he published articles. Later, he doesn't seem to have published as many articles on Gemara topics. But those articles are when Rabbi Yosef Dov was still in his younger years and more in line with the style of his father and grandfather. Also in a Sefer, Igros Hagrid, which has the letters that Rabbi Yosef Dov wrote mostly to his father in the 20s and the 30s from Berlin. So those chidushim are also more similar to his father and Rab Chaim's style. And there's another Sefer, Chidushi Hagram Hagrid, that has the back and forth between Rab Moshe and Rabbi Yosef Dov. So those are the svarim with his early chidushim. Now, in his later years, and this is almost to be expected from such a great genius and such a great Talmud Chacham, in his later years, he develops his own twist on the whole style of learning. So it's still very much brisker, but it has a very strong Reb Yosef Dov stamp on it. And these chidushim tend to be much more out there, quote unquote. They're not as rigidly confined to explaining the sources right there, but they insert a lot of very interesting ideas. And there's a lot of very creative of ideas that he comes up with, but again, it's a little bit of his own twist on the brisker style. So the main sefer that contains those chidushim is Shiurim Lezecher Abamari, two volumes of Shiurim that Rabbi Yosef Dov used to give on his father's yort site every year, and they would go on for hours, so the pieces are fairly long, but there's a lot of very bold ideas in those Shiurim, as well as the countless other Shiurim that he gave that were recorded and now are being published in various Svarim. So there's a lot of very creative and new insights from Rabbi Yosef Dov. We're going to focus mainly on the earlier chidushim because they fit more in line with the other pieces that we've seen from his father and uncle and grandfather. So this will give us a sense of the continuity between them and Rabbi Yosef Dov, as opposed to Rabbi Yosef Dov's later more independent
intelligent ideas, and also they're more self-contained, those ideas, that you can just go through them and present them, as opposed to some of his later ideas, which he reworked over and over again. So there might be four or five formulations of the same idea, which are often contradictory. So it's harder to describe exactly what he thought about some of the later ideas. Now, one final point before we begin about what to call Rabbi Yosef Dov. So here we have a similar problem to Rabbi Velvel. The followers of Rabbi Yosef Dov call him the Rav, or at least Rav Soloveitchik. So just like the Yeshiva world in Israel calls the Brisker Rav the Rav, so the YU world calls Rav Soloveitchik the Rav. But again, our goal in this recording is to assess the Chidushim and the Torah ideas of Rabbi Yosef Dov, not hero worship. So we're not going to call him the Rav or any of his titles. But even in terms of his name, there's different possibilities. So in his younger years in Europe, he was known as Rabbi Yosha Bear. He was named after his great-grandfather, Rabbi Chaim's father, the Beis HaLevi, who was also Yosef Dov. So he was known as Rabbi Yosha Bear. But then when he wrote philosophically in English, he went by Joseph B. So both of those are names that he did go by, but neither one of them seems to me to fully capture the complexity of who he was. Rabbi Yosha Bear sounds a little more yeshivish, for someone who ended up very secularly educated and the founder of modern orthodoxy and a leading religious Zionist. So I don't want to yeshivishize him as many people who do learn his chidushim do. And the flip side is that many people refer to him sometimes derogatorily as Joseph B or JB, and obviously we're not going to be doing that. So it seems to me that Rabbi Yosef Dov captures the complexity of this man, who was a man of tremendous truth. He was a man that was willing to give up a lot of standing and social status for what he felt to be the truth. And in that, he was very much in line with the Soloveitchik family, even though he ended up in a different place than his uncle, Rab Velvel and Rab Chaim. But in the overall view, they were all totally the same. Each of them was totally determined to follow the truth wherever it led them, regardless of what they sacrificed socially and in terms of their overall standing. So Rab Velvel, it took him in one direction and Rab Yosef Dov, it took him in a different direction. But this was a man totally committed to the truth and what he felt was the right thing regardless of consequences. So it seems to me that Rabbi Yosef Dov is the name that captures that complexity and the various intellectual trends that Rabbi Yosef Dov confronted in his lifetime and tried to make sense and tried to help the rest of us make sense of. So we'll use that title, Rabbi Yosef Dov, to go through some of his chidushim and to learn some of the Torah of this great man. So in this recording, we'll begin with a very cute three-way letter between Reb Moshe, Reb Yosef Dov, and Reb Yosef Dov's younger brother, Reb Aaron. These letters were in 1927, so unbelievably, Reb Aaron's only 10 years old at this point, and he still writes a very learned letter, which gets the whole discussion started off. So we'll begin with Reb Aaron's letter. The Rambam in Hilchus Melachim Yud Vav writes, Akum Yisrael afilu chaval kol shehu. If a non-Jew hits a Jew, even a small amount, afal pishu chayiv misa eno neherag. Even though theoretically the non-Jew is obligated in the death penalty for that infraction, but he does not practically get the death penalty. So at times the Rambam rules this type of punishment that there is a theoretical death penalty, but it's not practically enforced. So the source for this halacha is the Gemara in Sanhedrin and Ches Amad Beis. It derives from the Pasuk in Shemos, that tells that a non-Jew was hitting a Jew. And Moshe looked in different directions. He saw that nobody was looking. So he killed 
the Egyptian and buried him in the dirt. So from here is the source that if a Goy is hitting a Jew, they theoretically get the death penalty. And the Rambam himself in Chovalumazik Hey Gimel records this. Akum Shikas Yisrael Chayev Misa, a Goy that hits a Jew gets Misa, Shinem Arvayifen Mitzri, based on the Pasuk that Moshe killed the Mitzri. But now the problem is if that's the source that the Goy gets Misa, so why does the Rambam say that it's not practically enforced? In the story of Moshe, it was practically enforced because he killed the Mitzri. So why is the Rambam saying that it's not practically enforced? So Reb Aaron answers that Rashi in his commentary on the Chumash explains that Moshe did not kill the Mitzri physically, but he used the name of Hashem, which has Kabbalistic powers, to kill this person. And that's based on the Pasuk, Halahargeni Ata Omer Kasher Haragta Esam Mitzri. Dustin and Aviram say to Moshe, are you going to say to kill us like you killed the Mitzri? So it sounds like Moshe killed the Mitzri with words, not physically. And the Ramban says that the same idea appears in the Medrash. So that means what Moshe did was not actually killing the Mitzri, but he caused the Mitzri's death. So that's called Grama. Moshe was the cause of the Mitzri's death, but indirectly through saying the name of Hashem, not directly killing him. Now, Grama of Ritzicha, if someone causes a murder, so they do get the death penalty, as the Rambam rules in Hilchus Rotzeach, Gimel, Yud, and Yud Aleph. But the Mishnah Lamelech in Hilchus Rotzeach, Bez, Bez, quotes from the Ritva, that if someone kills someone through words, so they cause their death through words only, then they do not get the death penalty. So even though causing a murder does get the death penalty, that's only for physically causing it. But just saying something does not get the death penalty. So that means when Moshe killed this Egyptian through words, he was not committing murder. He did not actually kill him. It was more like Hashem had killed him and Moshe was the cause of it, but he did not physically directly do it. So now says the young future Rabbi Aaron, that's exactly the source for the Rambam that we don't practically kill the Goy in this case because if the Goy deserved the actual death penalty, then why didn't Moshe kill him? Physically, Why did he do it in this roundabout way by saying the name of Hashem? So the Rambam derived from here that there's no actual practical death penalty. It's Hashem's responsibility to enforce the punishment, but not people's. So that's why Moshe did not kill him. He used the name of Hashem, which is the equivalent of Hashem enforcing the punishment. And if you'll say that Moshe didn't kill the Mitzri because he was afraid of Paro, so says Rabbi Aaron, then he should have done nothing. He shouldn't have even killed him with the name of Hashem because he didn't accomplish anything with that. If the halacha was that he was supposed to kill the Mitzri, so then killing him in a roundabout way didn't even fulfill the halacha and there was no point. He should have just left the whole thing because he was unable to do it. So the Rambam said it must be that Moshe was fulfilling the halacha and that's the halacha not to kill him through humans, but to allow Hashem to enforce it. So this is Reb Aaron's insight that he developed as a 10-year-old and wrote in a letter to his older brother, Reb Yosef Dov, who is in Berlin. Now, the first reaction we get to this idea is from his father, Reb Moshe, and he added to the letter to Reb Yosef Dov, 
his own ideas about this. And he says that it's very impressive what Reb Aaron did. He calls him Arale HaKatan, the little Arale. So it's very impressive. But Reb Moshe does not think that this is the right approach. Because first of all, he doesn't think that killing someone using Kabbalistic names of Hashem is a form of grama of murder. He thinks it's an even lower level. When we talk about causing a murder, it means that the person did some form of murder which caused the loss of life. In this case, Moshe is just reciting the Shem HaMforash, the name of Hashem, and that's killing the person. So it's even less than a grama. So Reb Moshe says, even if we take the overall approach of Reb Aaron, that Moshe is not considered to have actually killed the Mitzri because he did it in this unusual way, but it's not that he caused the death at all. Moshe just said the name of Hashem and the Mitzri died, but Moshe did not even kill him. So that's where the Rambam derived that humans don't punish in this situation, but Hashem does. Then Reb Moshe adds an even stronger second point. Normally, when the Rambam says that someone deserves the death penalty, but we don't give it to them, so what he means is that they're chayiv misa bide shamayim. They deserve the death penalty in the heavenly court, not in the earthly court. So that would be the assumption of what the Rambam means in this halacha. But Reb Moshe points out that that does not seem to be the case because when the Rambam means that, he says it clearly. Chayiv misa shamayim. Here, the Rambam just says, Chayiv misa, that the Goy deserves the death penalty, but he does not add in bide shamayim. So it sounds like the Rambam is actually saying something different. That the Goy deserves the death penalty, but we're unable to enforce it because for this infraction, we can't take a life. So that's a little bit of a different idea than what the Rambam generally means. It's not that Hashem enforces it. Maybe he does or maybe not. But the point is that we don't have the ability to enforce it. So now this fits in perfectly with Reb Moshe's first point. Moshe could not kill the Mitzri because that's the rule. We're not allowed to take a life because of this infraction. The only thing that could be done is this non-form of killing using the name of Hashem, which again, according to Reb Moshe, is a non act of murder at all. So that's why Moshe was able to do it. So that's where the Rambam gets the source of this halacha, that the Goy deserves the death penalty, but no one can give it to him because we can't kill him for this. So the only possibility would be if there's a Kabbalist who can use the name of Hashem to kill him, then that could be done because it's not an act of murder at all. But no human is allowed to take a life because of this infraction. So that's Reb Moshe's interpretation of the Rambam along similar lines to his son, but with a different emphasis. Now, Reb Yosef Dov responds to this original letter with his own letter and his own approach to this issue. So he begins the letter very warmly that he's so surprised that his little brother was able to come up with such a profound insight and he wishes him all the best in his learning. And then Reb Yosef Dov makes a few counterpoints. So first of all, he explains the ritva that was quoted by the Mishnah Lamelech a little bit differently than Rab Aaron, but then he makes a much more fundamental point that Rab Aaron's assuming the Rambam is trying to say that this is a chiyuv misa bide shamayim. 
the Goy deserves Misa in the heavenly court, not the earthly court. And Rabbi Yosef Dov argues, like his father, but for a different reason, that that is not what the Rambam means. Because he says we do not find that distinction when it comes to a non-Jew, only a Jew. So the whole concept of Misa Bideshamayim applies to Jews. Sometimes the halacha says that it's a death penalty in the heavenly court, and sometimes in the earthly court, but the whole distinction does not apply to non-Jews. So if a non-Jew is Chayiv Misa, the death penalty, even in the heavenly court, then the earthly court would give the punishment because there is no distinction. So the Rambam cannot mean that this is a punishment of Misa Bideshamayim. The Rambam has to mean something else. Now, Rabbi Yosef Dov adds another very key point. Not only does the distinction of Bideshamayim versus Bide Adam not apply to non-Jews, but he argues that it doesn't really apply to punishments for murder. So the concept of Misa Bideshamayim can only apply to ritual things like a non-Kohen eating Truma. So the punishment for that is Misabi Deshamayim, which means that the person does not really deserve the death penalty, so they get a lower level penalty, which is Misabi Deshamayim. But the point is that this crime is not severe enough to get the death penalty. As opposed to a murder, any murderer inherently deserves the death penalty. So in a case where a murderer does not get the death penalty, let's say grama, if someone only caused it, so the halacha is misabide shamayim, it doesn't mean that they don't deserve the death penalty. They do deserve the death penalty because they're a murderer, but it's unenforceable. Because they didn't commit the murder themselves directly, they were the cause of the murder, so it's unenforceable. We're not able to take their life, but they do deserve the death penalty. So there's a subtle difference between Misabide Shamayim for rituals, like a non-Kohen eating truma, versus a murderer, like someone who caused a murder. In the case of the truma, the person does not deserve the death penalty, so they get a lower level penalty called Misabide Shamayim. In the case of the murderer, they do deserve the death penalty, but it's unenforceable. So now, based on this framework, Rabbi Yosef Dov explains why the Rambam in Ritzicha Tes Dalit rules that a goy who causes a murder, a grama, does get the death penalty. So how does the Rambam know that? When it comes to a Jew, we don't practically give them the death penalty. It's misibide shamayim. So says Rabbi Yosef Dov, according to his whole interpretation, this now makes sense. Because the Jew inherently does deserve the death penalty. But it's unenforceable because he didn't kill the person directly. So therefore, it's up to Hashem to enforce or not. So that's misabide shamayim. But such a halacha for a goy translates into the death penalty because once he inherently deserves the death penalty, so then we're able to give it out to him. So now this whole approach undermines Reb Aaron's interpretation of the original Rambam that a goy who hits a Jew deserves misabide shamayim. But according to Reb Yosef Dov, that's not going to work at all because if the goy deserves misabide shamayim, so then he's actually going to get killed. So now Reb Yosef Dov moves on to his father Reb Moshe's interpretation of the Rambam. Reb Moshe suggested that this punishment is unenforceable because we're unable to commit murder because of this infraction of hitting the Jew. So if the person can kill the Goy Kabbalistically, then that's okay. But 
to kill them practically is not allowed. So Rabbi Yosef Dov questions his father's interpretation because it doesn't sound in the Rambam that there's two separate things going on here. One is the death penalty against the Goy. And then second, there's something contradicting that, which is that we're not able to murder him in this situation. So as a result of that, we can't do anything. But rather, it sounds like in the Rambam that it's the same halacha. There is a death penalty which should not be enforced. So the death penalty is suspended in this case. So if that's what the Rambam means, then there's no point and it's wrong to killing the Goy, even with the name of Hashem, because he did not deserve the death penalty in this case. So Rabbi Yosef Dov proposes a third interpretation of the Rambam. Why do we not practically kill the Goy in this case? So he says that it has to do with the Rambam's overall view. The Rambam holds that a Goy only gets Misa for violating the seven mitzvahs. But anything other than the seven mitzvahs of Goyim that they violate, even things that they're not allowed to do, they do not get the death penalty. And the proof for that is the Rambam in Malachi Yud Tess rules that if a Goy studies Torah or keeps Shabbos, which the Gemara also calls a death penalty case, but they do not practically get killed. So the Rambam severely limited the concept of the death penalty for Goyim only to the seven mitzvahs, not to any other halachas. And Rabbi Yosef Dov explains the reason for this distinction, because one of the seven mitzvahs of Goyim is dinim, to have courts and to enforce the rules. Now, there's a big debate between the Rambam and the Ramban what that means. The Rambam holds that dinim means that the goyim should enforce the other six mitzvahs. So it's like a catch-all mitzvah within the seven mitzvahs to enforce the other ones against murder and adultery and idolatry, etc. So one of the seven mitzvahs is to enforce the other ones. So now Rabbi Yosef Dov suggests that the death penalty punishment for Goyim comes from that mitzvah of Dinim. So that's why, according to the Rambam, it can only apply to the seven mitzvahs, but it cannot apply to any other halachas, like if they hit a Jew, or if they study Torah, or keep Shabbos, even though the Gemara calls those death penalty cases, but there's no justification to give the death penalty, because they're not included in Dinim, because they're not one of the seven mitzvahs, and Dinim only includes the seven mitzvahs. So therefore, the Rambam rules that there can be no practical death penalty in those cases. So that's Rabbi Yosef Dov's explanation for why the Rambam says that there is no practical death penalty in this case. So now there's another letter from Rabbi Moshe where he basically says that he likes his son's idea that when we differentiate for a murderer between Misibide Shamayim versus the earthly court, it doesn't mean that it's a lower level punishment, that it's not a severe, it's a lesser form of a death penalty, but it's the same death penalty. Theoretically, the person should get killed, but it's unenforceable. And then he brings a proof to that, but it's a fairly convoluted proof, and I don't think it's worthwhile to go through in this recording. So from these letters in Igros Hagrid, we have three different interpretations of the Rambam. Either Moshe caused the death of the Mitzri, but he didn't directly kill him. It was Grama. So that's Rab Aaron's. Then 
Reb Moshe says that it was even less than grama. So Moshe didn't even cause the death. He just said the name of Hashem, but it was not an act of murder at all. And then Reb Yosef Dov says that Moshe killed him for a totally different reason, not as punishment for this sin, because there is no death penalty at all for this sin. So those are the three different ways to read the story of Moshe and the Mitzri and to understand the ruling of the Rambam. Now, it's interesting to see what the other commentators have to say because there is a good amount of discussion about this whole issue. So Reb Aaron's childhood insight actually turns out to be a well-established idea in the commentators. So the Prashas Drachim in the 10th Drush, which is written by the Mishnah Lamelech, so he actually says this insight straight out and it's based on a comment of the Re'aim in his commentary on Rashi and the Marash Yafeh, the Yafeh Toar in a commentary on the Medrash. So the Torah says that Moshe checked both ways by Yarki Ein Ish. He saw that there was no one looking. So the simple understanding is that Moshe was checking to make sure that nobody saw him kill the Mitzri. But Rashi quotes from the Medrash that Moshe was Kabbalistically looking into the future and checking whether the Mitzri was going to have any worthwhile descendants and then he wouldn't have killed him but once he saw Ki Ein Ish that there was no man meaning none of the Mitzri's descendants were worth saving, so then he killed the Mitzri. So this is a very powerful idea that taking a life is taking all their descendants. It's the same idea we have at Cain and Hevel, that when Cain kills Hevel, the Torah describes it as demei achicha, the bloods of your brother. So one of Rashi's explanation is the future descendants of Hevel. So the same thing is here too, that Moshe tried to check to make sure that he wasn't killing anyone in the future who should be saved. But the Re'eim and the Marash Yafet point out that what about every other person who gets the death penalty in court? The court isn't able to check Kabbalistically all their future descendants. And even if they could, we don't even do that. If someone deserves the death penalty, then the court gives it to them, regardless of whether they were going to have redeeming future descendants. So why is Moshe busy checking the descendants if the Mitzri deserved the death penalty? As the Gemara says, then he should have killed him regardless of the descendants. So the Re'eim and the Marash Yafeh explain that if a person actually deserves the death penalty in the human court, so then they get the death penalty regardless of who their future descendants might be. But in this case, the Mitzri didn't actually deserve the death penalty. It was only Misabi de Shamayim, like the Rambam says. So that's why Moshe had to check to make sure that he wasn't killing any future descendants who were worth saving. And the precious Drachim adds that it's exactly this story that's the source for the Rambam. Because why was Moshe concerned about the future descendants? So we see that this is not a regular Chiyuv Misa in the earthly court. So the Gemara must mean that it's a Misa Bidei Shamayim, and that's why Moshe had to take into account the future descendants. So the Re'eim and the Marash Yof and the Precious Drachim are saying Reb Aaron's childhood idea. Now in the Sefer Emek Bracha from Reb Baruch Weiss on Shmos, so he quotes a number of other commentators who also say the same idea. So the Taz in his commentary on the Torah, Divrei David, as well as Reb Yosef Shaul Nathanson, the Shoal Umeshiv, in his Sefer on the Torah, Divrei Shaul, and the Maharil Diskin, who was the Rav of Brisk, in his commentary on the Torah. So they all also have the same approach. So this is a very popular approach. Now, in terms of the issue Reb Aaron raises, 
whether killing someone through the name of Hashem is considered an act of murder or not. So the commentators discuss this also. Rabbi Yosef Engel in the Beis HaOtzer Mareches Aleph Klal Aleph Os Gimel agrees that it's not considered murder because it's done in an unusual way. And the Chida in his Sefer Dvash Lepi Mareches Mem Os Hey has something very interesting to say about this. He says that when someone kills someone using Kabbalistic methods, they don't actually kill them. What they do is they remove any lingering sanctity that they had and that automatically causes them to die because there's no more Kedusha to keep them alive. So that's not a form of murder. And the Chida adds in his Sefer and Makos, Pesach Enayim Yud Amud Beis, that when someone learns Torah Lishma, so they destroy the evil forces that are keeping the wicked person alive. So obviously one is allowed to study Torah, we would not consider that murder. So this is the view of the Chida, that Kabbalistically killing someone is not considered murder, as the Salavechiks all assumed. But there are those who disagree. So the Chuvis Halachos Kitana, which is a collection of very short questions and answers from Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz. So in Chelek Bey's Simen Tzadi Ches, he's asked or he made up the question whether someone who kills someone using the name of Hashem or using black magic, what's the rules? And he says that it's the equivalent of shooting an arrow and killing someone. So he considers the words a direct attack as if the person almost did something and he quotes the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, Tes Zayin, Chetz Shachut Lishonam, that the tongue is like an arrow to kill. So according to Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz, this is a form of murder. And likewise, the stipler in Kehilos Yaakov on Babakama Simen Memhei has a long discussion about this and he says that there are three different types of harming someone using these magical ways. One is where the person didn't intend to harm them. So let's say what we call an ayin hara. It was just a mistake. So that the person's not responsible for. Then there's something a little bit more than that where they intend to harm the person, but they didn't use any specific Kabbalistic or magical process. So that he compares to the case of the chida, where the person removes the sanctity and that harms someone. So the stipler says this should only be done for good reason, but it's not as if the person died directly killed or harmed the other person. And the third category is where they use some Kabbalistic or magical formula that they know is going to harm the person. So the stipler says that's like directly killing or harming the person because that's the way Hashem created the world, that this has the power to do something and they knew that that would be the effect. So it's as if they directly killed them. So the stipler also agrees with the Halachos Ketanos, Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz, that murder using these types of formulas would be considered full murder. And similarly, Rabbi Yehuda Assad, who was a Hungarian rabbi and was close with the Chassam Sofer, in his Chuvis Yehuda Ya'ale, or Achaim Simen Kuftzari Tes, so he also follows the Halachos Ketanos, that killing with the name of Hashem is a form of murder, and he quotes the story of Moshe to prove that Moshe killed the Mitzri with a valid form of the death penalty using the name of Hashem. So this view obviously totally goes against the Salavechik's assumption that Killing with the name of Hashem is not murder. It's at most grama. But as we saw earlier, a number of commentators do agree with them.